It's who I am, you're a good, good father. 
fails and never gives up and never runs out on me.
Good morning, everyone. Yeah, it's good to see you. Praise the Lord for good fellowship and that we're here together again. I feel like it was just uh, a week ago that we were here. So praise the Lord. Uh, it's good to see all of you. And uh, yes, find your way to your seat. Um, bring your extra cup of coffee. Uh, it's a good reminder that we do offer our coffee fellowship every Sunday. About 9.45, our coffee is ready and is uh, served. Thank everybody that, you know, works behind the scenes to make sure that happens. Uh, thank you for that. But um, it's always a good, um, you know, time to get here a little bit earlier to enjoy some, some coffee and some extra fellowship and get in some good conversations and get caught up with some people you haven't seen in a, in a while. Um, and uh, so anyway, so thank you for choosing to be with us this morning uh, here at Trinity, to worship our God. And, um, you know, we're going to worship the Lord in different ways today, through music in just a moment, and, of course, through the uh, reading and hearing of his word, and uh, through our time of fellowship, that's a way to worship God and bring him glory, and through a time of prayer. And uh, it, it is a great privilege to do this together, because this is the way we start our week, right? Sunday morning, the beginning of a new week, actually. Uh, we often think of it as sort of Monday morning when we go back to work, but really Sunday, in essence, the beginning of a new week, and this is the way to do it. And so we're thankful, and uh, we say welcome to everybody that's joining us online. Remember that uh, if you are away, maybe you're traveling, vacation, or if you're home and you're sick, a lot of people have been sick recently, that you can go onto our website, trinityallenwood.com, and just see where it says watch live, and you can watch the service, or if you miss it, you can go back and watch it later. All of our sermons are recorded and archived there on our website. Uh, this morning, I have a little bit more of a lengthy call to worship uh, reading from Scripture as uh, we prepare to bring our worship before God through song. Uh, I like to start usually with uh, a reading from Scripture. This is from the end of the book of Joshua. So again, from the Old Testament, if you remember, Joshua was sort of Moses' right-hand man and uh, along with Aaron and uh, others, and Joshua was the one who was able to take that second generation of the Hebrews into the promised land because Moses and that first generation that came out of Egypt were disobedient, were wandering in the desert, but uh, Moses then dies, and Joshua takes up that mantle. And Now, at the end of the book of Joshua, we see Joshua uh, preparing to die and go to be with the Lord, and he is giving one last reminder to the people of Israel about God's goodness and how they are to reaffirm the covenant that um, they have with God, that they are to be obedient and trusting of him. So listen to these words as Joshua recounts the word of God and all that God had done for his people. And then it ends with Joshua's encouragement and challenge, which will be also for us today. So from Joshua 24, verses 1 through 15. It says this, Then Joshua assembled all the tribes of Israel at Shechem, and he summoned the elders, the leaders, the judges, and officials of Israel, and they presented themselves before God. And then Joshua said to all the people, This 
is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Long ago, your ancestors, including Terah, the father of Abraham, and Nahor, lived beyond the Euphrates River and worshipped other gods. But I took your father Abraham from the land beyond the Euphrates and led him throughout Canaan and gave him many descendants. I gave him Isaac, and to Isaac I gave Jacob and Esau. I assigned the hill country of Seir to Esau, but Jacob and his family went down to Egypt. Then I sent Moses and Aaron, and I afflicted the Egyptians by what I did there, and I brought you out. When I brought your people out of Egypt, you came to the sea, and the Egyptians pursued them with chariots and horsemen as far as the Red Sea. But they cried to the Lord for help, and he put darkness between you and the Egyptians. He brought the sea over them and covered them. You saw with your own eyes what I did to the Egyptians. Then you lived in the wilderness for a long time. I brought you to the land of the Amorites who lived east of the Jordan. They fought against you, but I gave them into your hands. I destroyed them from before you, and you took possession of their land. When Balak, the son of Zippor, the king of Moab, prepared to fight against Israel, he sent for Balaam, son of Beor, to put a curse on you, but I would not listen to Balaam. So he blessed you again and again, and I delivered you out of his hand. Then you crossed the Jordan and came to Jericho. The citizens of Jericho fought against you, as did also the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Girgashites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, but I gave them into your hand. I sent the hornet ahead of you, who drove them out before you, also the two Amorite kings. You did not do it with your own sword and bow. So I gave you a land on which you did not toil and cities you did not build, and you live in them and eat from vineyards and olive groves that you did not plant. Now, fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness, Joshua says. Throw away the gods of your ancestors that uh, the gods your ancestors worshipped beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt and serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your ancestors serve beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Would you stand with me, please? What an amazing reminder of all that God had done for his people. And yet, time and again, they chose to worship other gods. Church, we are called here this morning to worship the one true God, the God of the Bible, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God who did all of these things for his people. Let us today choose in this house, in this place, to serve our Lord. Father God, we thank you for this powerful reminder of your goodness and of your grace. Lord, we recognize this morning that we live in places that we did not build of our own. We gather in vineyards and olive groves that 
perhaps we did not plant, God, it reminds us that you provide everything that we have. All good gifts are from you, from heaven above. So we now worship you, Lord, through song in response to your goodness and your grace. And may this time be sweet to your ear. And God, know from the depths of our hearts, we say thank you. Thank you for being a God who is good to us. God, you give us all that we need, all that we need. And so we say thank you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Church, let's worship him together.
Oh, Father, what a privilege to be in your presence, a holy and righteous God. We know it's only because of Jesus. Father, that's why we sing about him and we sing to him this morning, because he has opened a way for us to be back in right relationship with you, our God and our maker. Thank you, Lord, for a privileged and powerful time of worship. God, I'm just being reminded of how good you are and how great you are, our God and our King. You deserve all the glory, and thank you, Lord, for this time. God, may we continue to lift you up in worship, to sing praises to you, and Father, you deserve it all. We pray in the name of Jesus, amen. God is good, amen? Amen. Take a moment, all the time, uh, take a moment to say good morning to somebody next to you. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. We can find our way back to our seats. Hallelujah. We get to see, um, get to see the kids make their way down to their classes, and uh, we thank God for our next generation. And uh, we're grateful for the ministry that we have to be able to um, to teach them the Word of God. So praise the Lord for a great time of powerful worship. Amen. 
It's so good. It's so good to see great fellowship, especially after a good time of worship. Um, and uh, we'll continue to focus this morning on that presence, the presence uh, of be- being in the presence of a holy God. And uh, hallelujah, sometimes you have those, those times in worship, you just want to keep singing, you know? You just want to keep singing and praising God. And so, but as we open his word together, you know, that's of course, as I mentioned, another way that we bring worship to him and in that continued spirit and attitude of worship. Um, and uh, just have one announcement this morning before we dive into God's word. Just a reminder that next Sunday, right after our service, is our annual business meeting. And uh, these meetings are important because we go over things like the budget and we talk about um, the expenses and uh, we, we, you know, be transparent about everything. And so we want to make sure that we go over that. If you're a, um, a member and you're, um, you're here, you get to vote on that budget, the proposed budget for the new year. Uh, you'll also hear from some of the ministry leaders about things that uh, happened last year. So we'll review and uh, look forward to the new year. And I'll give uh, um, also an update on where we are as a church and wh- uh, where um, we want to be heading and some things that the, we've seen the Lord do and what we anticipate him doing this year. And so of course, everyone is welcome to stay for that brief meeting next week, right after service. You don't have to be a, an official member of Trinity to, to do that, but everybody is welcome. And uh, for those of you that are uh, interested, um, members especially, you should take one, but on the Connection Center, there are copies of the proposed budget. So make sure you take one, you can review that, and then during the meeting next week is an opportunity for uh, for questions. You know, um, so. Uh, make sure you keep that on your calendar and plan to stay. So we're going to do a, a message today. It's not in our series in Matthew. We're going to just take a, um, a brief diversion today from that. I'll explain why in a minute. Um, I see a lot of um, red around. There's no um, Chiefs jerseys and there's no 49ers jerseys. Of course, they're not from around here, but um, it's quite interesting, right? Because uh, today is Super Bowl Sunday, so there's always a lot made of that. And it uh, can be an exciting time, gatherings and everything. And my wife, Claudia, um, posted something this morning uh, online, something that she found, and it said, um, you should be excited about church this morning as you are about the Super Bowl. So when your pastor makes a point in his sermon, you should pour Gatorade over his head, <laughs> right? So I appreciated that. You know, a, a, simple, a simple amen or hallelujah. <clears throat> will do, right? <clears throat> so when the pastor makes this awesome point from Scripture, you know, you can forego the Gatorade and just be like, praise the Lord, amen, hallelujah. Um, but, you know, I, I did want to share, um, I wanted to share something special, and most of the Scriptures will be on, on the, the, up on the screen for you. I encourage you always bring your Bibles here to Trinity as we go through um, the books of the Bible together, or when we do a, a special a message like this morning that um, you're able to uh, open up in, in the Word, use your, the Bible app on your phone, is that, if that's how you normally read the Scriptures these days. Um, but as most of you are aware, uh, every Thursday, myself and two other local pastors record a podcast, and we go through a Bible reading app that gives us the Scripture for that week, and then we read it together, we get together, we pray over it, and we have a, a good discussion, and we sort of unpack it together, and um, then we record about a 20-minute podcast, and 
whatever the theme is that comes out of that scripture and, and our thoughts and most importantly an application because it's called So What? The podcast. So the idea is we, we want to be doers of the word and not just hearers. And so we ask ourselves this question in every episode, so what? So God has given us his word and a teaching for that day. So what? What do we do with it? And every once in a while, there's, you know, they're always very impactful and, and we come away being so blessed. Um, by our, our fellowship and also the, the study of the word together. But every once in a while, there's one that sort of hits me and, and sticks with me for longer than usual. And this past Thursday was one like that. And the Lord just impressed upon my heart to share it with you this morning. And I hope that you see why. And you can go back to the podcast and uh, you go to our website and look at podcasts and you'll see the, get a link to the latest episodes and you'll hear more about it. Uh, especially from the other two pastors and their insights as well. Um, but it, it's all about being in the presence of a holy God, specifically worship. And, you know, we just had a time of worship through music. And as I say often, music is just one way to worship God. We don't ever want to equate worship just with music, although it's one of the most powerful and, and uh, pertinent ways that we do bring worship to God and bring praises to him. But in our podcast, again, we don't choose the scriptures. They're chosen for us as we have committed to go through this reading, Bible reading app, reading through in a year. And the, um, the passages that came for us this week were from the, the book of Numbers in the Old Testament, chapters 1 to 4. And in the first couple of chapters, there's just a list of names. You don't have to turn there because we're going to focus on chapters 3 and 4 in some other related scriptures. But you, know, you come to these passages in Scripture, and you're just like, all right, what do we do with this, right? Because it's just a list of tribes and names, and God is gathering them uh, to worship, and, and um, he's talking about how they are to be set up in their camps. And you start to see this idea that God is a God of order, right? And then in chapters 3 and 4, he starts to give us um, an idea about how to worship him. And so he sets aside this tribe, the tribe of Levi, the Levites, the, the, uh, the relatives, the descendants of Aaron, Moses' brother, to be the ones that are set aside to do the service in the tabernacle, um, later to become the temple, the sanctuary uh, for the Lord. And these are the, the people that would become the priests and those who work in the temple and to get the sacrifices ready. And, um, and you know, there, there's other chapters, especially in Leviticus, that talk about all the garments they're to wear. And it's very specific about the types of fabric and the colors and when they're supposed to enter into God's presence and uh, very, very detailed descriptions about the sacrifices and what kind and how and how to offer them. And, and I think you've, maybe some of you have read through that and you get the idea, but um, it's so interesting to see how detailed, and this is part of the, what, I, what God impressed upon me this week, how detailed God is in the Old Testament, about how to come into his presence, how to worship him, because he is a holy God. And it's very important. Now, of course, we know in Christ, as we open the pages of the New Testament, and we have our instructions about Jesus and his teaching and the freedom that we have in Christ, that we are no longer bound by the law. And because of Christ on the cross and his work to make a way for us to be reconciled to our holy God, that we can simply come before him just as we are. That's the point where you say hallelujah. 
Okay, or amen. I'll take an amen. Praise the Lord. Not the Gatorade, the praise the Lord and all that. And we're so very thankful for what Jesus did because, again, this idea that, that, that us uh, fallible human beings whom, whom God created and loves, that we can come into his presence and he is a perfect and righteous and holy God in all of his majesty and splendor and, and we get to be with him anytime we want. And not only that, we'll see as we unpack this that, of course, he is with us each and every moment as believers because we are now called the temples, the Holy Spirit, where he dwells within us. And so I want to read a couple of passages again and, and share some other thoughts just about how, um, how this was impressed upon me this week and why I think it's, it's kind of stuck around longer than it might usually do. I, wanna, I want you to listen to this first. It'll be up on the screen. This is from Numbers 3, uh, verses 1 to 4. This is how this chapter starts as we get into um, the Levites. Again, God setting aside the Levites, not getting their own sort of plot of land because all the other tribes did, but the Levites were set apart, set aside to be those that would help lead in worship and all that was involved, right? And here's how it starts in Numbers 3. It says, now, these are the records of the generations of Aaron and Moses at the time when the Lord spoke with Moses on Mount Sinai. Okay? These are the names of the sons of Aaron, Nadab the firstborn, and Abihu, Eleazar, and Ithamar. These are the names of the sons of Aaron, the anointed priests, whom he ordained to serve as priests. So Aaron had these four sons, they are to be ordained as priests, and of course then the idea is their descendants would then continue on that tradition and be the, the um, Levitical priests and those working in the temple to serve God. But verse 4 then says, But Nadab and Abihu died before the Lord when they offered strange fire before the Lord in the wilderness of Sinai, and they had no children, so... Eleazar and Ithamar served as priests in the lifetime of their father Aaron. And again, we don't ever want to skip over any portions of Scripture. But almost abruptly, right, it's talking about these four sons of Aaron who are going to be the priests, right? The beginning of the Levitical line. It says, but these two sons died before the Lord because they offered what this version says, strange fire before the Lord. Very simply, they did not follow God's prescribed plan of how to enter into his presence and worship him. They did something that was offensive to God. It doesn't specifically say what they did, but it was egregious enough where God struck them dead because they came before him in a way that he did not detail or prescribe. And so we take that and say, wow, let's pause there for a second. God must really care about worship. You say that? He really does. To the point where this is what he did, striking down two of the sons because they offered what was called strange fire, something in a way that God did not um, create or God did not sanction so they offered some kind of impure or improper worship before a holy God. 
See, God presents himself in Scripture as worthy of worship because he is holy. So then, as we were unpacking this in our podcast on Thursday, I was reminded of what we've been studying here at church in Daniel. And so if you're not a part of that, on Tuesday mornings, there's a men's and women's Bible study going through the book of Daniel. And then on, um, on Sunday mornings in our Dig Deeper study, uh, which meets from uh, 9.30 to 10.15, also going through Daniel. Different resources, but going through the book of Daniel. And so this week I was also reminded in our study um, earlier in the week about this, the, um, the contrasting stories of Daniel his three friends, remember them, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and King Nebuchadnezzar. Now, these may be familiar stories to you, whether you're going through this study, current study with us or not, but I want to just briefly um, kind of share the, the, the couple of the stories in the beginning of Daniel and tell you where I believe the Lord was leading me and kind of what he was impressing upon me. So, in, um, in uh, the beginning of Daniel 2, we... We hear about this, this amazing story that um, King Nebuchadnezzar, who was the king of Babylon uh, at the time, okay, and had brought the, you know, had conquered Israel and the, the southern tribes and uh, brought them into captivity. And of course, Daniel is there with his friends in captivity under the headship of King Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon. And the king has a dream. Now, oftentimes we remember our dreams, right? And sometimes we ask somebody to help us interpret them. What does that mean? And God would often speak to people through dreams, and he can remind us, I think still, through dreams of what he says in his word, because it's always going to jive with what the scriptures say, right? But he uses a dream to, um, to, to uh, get King Nebuchadnezzar's attention. So what the king does is he calls all of his wise men together, the Chaldeans and others, people that he had relied on in the past, um, to come in and interpret the dream. And we won't read the whole portions of Scripture, but the story goes that evidently these wise men who he had relied upon in the past to help him make decisions and kind of prophesy about the future, they had been deceitful. And they weren't such great servants of his, and he knew that. So he calls them together, and he challenges them, and instead of just asking them to interpret the dream like he normally would. He says, I don't only want you to interpret the dream, O wise men, but I want you to tell me what the actual dream is. So you can imagine their response. They're just like, there's no way. Like, there's nobody on earth that could do that, king. But of course, they, they say, oh, king, you are worthy, right? But of course, nobody can do this. And so the king then says, well, if you can't do this, then you're all going to die. And of course, they try to plead their case and say, no, no, it's impossible. So the King Nebuchadnezzar, uh, acting as he did, he kind of puts out this decree that they should all be killed. But see, that would have included Daniel and his friends because they were being trained in sort of this group of wise men uh, to, uh, to be just that, to be sort of advisors to the king, King Nebuchadnezzar. And so and so he puts out this edict, but Daniel gets word of it. And Daniel tells one of the chief guards, basically like, hey, you know, give me some time. You know, I can do this. I, tell the king, like, I, I'd like to have, uh, you know, an audience with him because I can do this. I can interpret it and tell him what the dream is. And so 
Daniel goes before God and he prays, God, would you help me to do this? And God does. God reveals to him the actual dream and the interpretation. So Daniel gets the audience, comes before God, uh, before King Nebuchadnezzar, and he tells him the actual dream. Of course, everybody is stunned. And then he tells him the interpretation. And so here is part of that passage, right? So here is the actual uh, dream, okay, that, um, that King Nebuchadnezzar had, and Daniel is relaying it to him. Remember, the king didn't say what it was. He wanted somebody to do it for him to prove that they were uh, actually wise, right, and he could trust them. So here's what it says, Daniel 2, 31 to 35. It says, you, O king, this is Daniel talking to the king, you, O king, were looking and behold, right, he's describing his dream. There was a single great statue, and that statue, which was large and of extraordinary splendor, was standing in front of you, and its appearance was awesome. The head of that statue was made of fine gold, its breast and its arms of silver, its belly and its thighs were made of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. And then you continued looking until a stone was cut out without hands, and it struck the statue on its feet of iron and clay and crushed them. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold were crushed all at the same time and became like chaff from the summer threshing floor. And the wind carried them away so that not a trace of them was found. But stone that struck the statue became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. That was the king's dream. And so Daniel, of course, correctly, because God gave it to him, um, Daniel correctly described the dream. And of course, the king was amazed. And then he goes on, I won't share but all of it, but he, he goes on to interpret it. And he's basically saying, look, king, like this is you and all the kingdoms of power that will come after you and what their fate will be, okay? And there's a lot of prophetic significance in this, so I suggest you do your own study in Daniel 2 and Daniel 3 and, and look at the, the significance for us today in our near future, I believe, of, of how these, um, this dream and its interpretation will play out. But yet, from history we know, and Daniel kind of unpacks this, right, that, um, of course, the head of gold was Nebuchadnezzar and the kingdom of Babylon. And so gold, of all of these precious metals, was the most expensive, right, and, and the finest, the head of gold. So, about, you know, Nebuchadnezzar would be like, okay, I like that. You know, I'm the head of gold on this statue. So that would be Babylon. But then the next part, silver, would have represented the Persian Empire that eventually would defeat Babylon. Of course, the king didn't like that idea. And then after the Persians, we know from history, it would have been the Greek Empire and Alexander the Great, and they um, conquered the Persians. And then, of course, who came along and conquered um, the Greeks was the Romans, and they were uh, in power um, when Jesus was born, right? So we had these four empires, gold of Babylon, silver of Persia, bronze, uh, the Greeks, and then iron, right, and um, clay, and then it would well, iron the Roman Empire. And then you had the fifth one. It was the feet of iron and clay, kind of yet to be described, yet to be played out and known, this, this um, empire of feet, uh, the feet of clay and iron as it's represented. 
But then it says something so interesting as he's relaying the dream. He's saying, but then, O king, there is this stone that comes along, see? And this stone, because we got this statue that he's picturing, it's a stone that's not even cut out of human hands. It's supernatural. It's divine. And it comes along, and it strikes at the feet of iron and clay, whatever that kingdom will be in the future, and it crumbles, and he says, all the other ones come crashing down until all that's left is that one, because that stone will become a great mountain and will fill the whole earth. In so much prophecy that we can't get into this morning, but, but hallelujah, we see that God's plan will come to fruition. And we know that Jesus, of course, I believe, is that stone. And he's called elsewhere in Matthew 21, 44. He, Jesus says, he who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces, but he on whom it falls will be crushed. There's other references to him as the stone. So Daniel tells the dream and the interpretation, right? That's the story. But then look at, and this is why I bring it all up, look at the king's response. Then King Nebuchadnezzar fell on his face and did homage to Daniel and gave orders to present to him an offering and fragrant incense. And the king answered Daniel and said, Surely your God is a God of gods and a Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries, since you have been able to reveal this mystery. Then the king promoted Daniel and gave him many great gifts, and he made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon and chief prefect over all the wise men of Babylon. So what does King Nebuchadnezzar do? He says, wow, your God is truly a God, and he gave you this interpretation. Let's praise that God. Let's worship that God. He's, he has this incredible experience that draws him to the greatness of God. See? Because God had worked this miracle in his eyes, this God of Daniel. And so he recognizes it, the power of Daniel's God. And he says, we're going to praise him. And he even then praises Daniel and, and, and um, makes him you know, ruler over all of Babylon. What a reaction right, to this amazing thing that God did through Daniel. Wow, he must be a God of gods and a Lord of kings. And see, the king is caught up in this amazing experience, right? And sometimes I think we get that way too in the way we worship God. We're looking for that next amazing experience. Right? Do you ever leave church and, and just say, well, I didn't feel God today. I didn't experience God today. Just keep that in mind as we go further. So look at what happens next. So this is how chapter 2 ends. The king is enthralled. He's on high. He's like, oh, this God is amazing, right? But look at how chapter 3 starts. Nothing in between, but look at what it says in Daniel 3. So Nebuchadnezzar the king made an image of gold, the height of which was 60 cubits, and it's with 6 cubits. He set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. So the king goes from worshiping this God, he's amazing, and, and all of a sudden he's back to being the narcissist that he was, and he decides to build this huge statue in the desert for everybody to see. It's like nine feet wide and 90 feet tall. 
And so you remember in his dream, Daniel's like, well, you're the head of gold because you're Babylon, he liked that. So he makes the whole statue covered in gold. So you could tell he's like, he liked the idea that he was the head of gold and that felt good to him. He didn't like the idea of his kingdom ending someday and Babylon not being there all the time. And so he's like, no, we're going to make the whole thing gold. And then he says, right after this, he makes this edict. He says, I want everybody from my kingdom, from my realm, to come here and to bow down and worship this statue, which of course in his mind represented him and his power and his greatness. So he went from worshiping God, God, you're the only one I worship you, to now I'm gonna make a statue representing myself and everybody's gonna worship me in the statue. So everybody around had to come and do that. But of course there were these Chaldeans, part of that wise group that were about to be killed, right? Because they couldn't interpret the dream or tell what it was. So they find out that Daniel's three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, had um, claimed that they were not going to do that. They were not going to bow down before um, Nebuchadnezzar's statue. And so these Chaldeans kind of bring word to the king, right? They're kind of just like, why? Because they're jealous of what Daniel could do. And so they're trying to get back into the king's good graces. So they come to, um, to the king and say, guess what, king? There's these three guys, you know, Daniel's friends, and they said they're not going to worship you, so to do something about it. So he's infuriated, of course, and so he sends for them, and they come before him, and he says, oh, I heard you weren't going to bow down. They said, that's right, king. And so he gives them one more chance, because his, dec- his decree was, when you hear the music play, this huge orchestra, not just like a trumpet sound, but he had all the musicians come. When you hear all the musicians start playing, everybody bows down. He said, you're going to do this too. And they said, no. He said, I'll give you one more chance. And they said, no. But remember their famous reply. And they said, King, we believe God can save us. Our God will save us. But even if he doesn't, we still won't bow down to you and worship a false god. Because they knew the law and they, they trusted in God. And so what does he do? Of course, the king is even more angry. So he says, Fire up the furnace to be seven times hotter than it was. And to throw you into the furnace because that's what would happen to anybody that didn't, um, that didn't worship uh, him and the statue. And so he tells his uh, guards to go throw them in and they're just like, it's kind of uh, really hot. We don't want to go too close. And so they bring them, they tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, throw them into the fire. It's so hot that those guards that were bringing them there, they died too before they even got that close to the fire. So they throw them in and they're tied up. But then what does the king see? Remember the story? He doesn't see just three of them. They're walking around, not being burned up. There's four of them. And the king is like, there's an angel in there with them. And so he's amazed at what God is doing. So he calls them out. And they weren't burned up. And they had all their robes on. Nothing was singed except the ropes that bound them. Hallelujah, right? So he comes out, and he's like, what is this, right? So what does the king do, right? Nebuchadnezzar responds and said, blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who sent his angel and delivered his servants who put their trust in him, even violating the king's command. That was him, him, and yielded up their bodies so as not to serve or worship any god except their own god. So again, he's amazed and He says, now everybody is going to worship this God. So look at what he says now. Therefore, I make a decree, 
that any people, nation, or tongue that speaks anything offensive against the God, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, shall be torn limb from limb, and their houses reduced to a rubbish heap, inasmuch as there is no other God who is able to deliver this way. And the king caused Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to prosper in the province of Babylon. Okay, I think this guy is crazy, right? So again, this great experience, right, of seeing God at work. And we do that in our own lives, don't we? He's seeing God at work. He's like, yes, blessed be the true God, this God. And, and you know what? If anybody doesn't worship this God now, you're going to be torn limb from limb. First it was thrown into the fire, right? And now it's torn limb from limb. You're like, okay, Nebuchadnezzar, that's not how you get people to worship God, but that's how he decided to do it. But you see again, he went from praising the God, right, who could give Daniel the dream and interpret it, to then all of a sudden he goes back to creating a statue for himself. Then he sees what God did in saving these three men of faith, and then he gets back to worshiping God. And it struck me as, you know, it's sometimes we're like that as Christians. We, we're just looking for, like, what has God done for me lately, right? It's just like we would go from one spiritual hide to the next, and we don't often know how to navigate the day in and the day out of life because the majority of our life is lived not on the mountaintops but in the valley. But it's all about our perspective, right? Remember as a youth pastor, youth pastor for many years, and we would bring our, our students, uh, junior high and high school, down to um, Harvey Cedars, and we would go to summer camp, you know? And for a week, and they have to leave their cell phones behind, and we would hire a band, and we'd have a speaker, and we'd meet, you know, and have chapel twice in the morning and at night. We'd have games and a lot of fun, and we'd have Bible studies. And of course, at the end of the week, the students were on such a spiritual high right? And we'd present the gospel at the end of the week, and many would be saved. But then I started to notice that year after year, a lot of the same students kept getting saved every year. <laughs> but there was this thing among the youth pastors, they're like, how do we keep this spiritual high that they're all on, just really getting to see God in a unique way and loving Jesus? How do we keep them there until next summer? But the idea is life isn't lived at summer camp, you know, summer Bible camp in a week, right? It's a beautiful thing to get that retreat, and we need that. But how do we live each and every day? And so I was thinking about the stark contrast between the king and Daniel and his friends. Because Daniel and his friends had this deep faith in their God, and it steadied them, and it made them firm. And they trusted in God. What did Daniel do to, to get the, the dream and the interpretation from God? He prayed, right? And his three friends just simply stood on the word and promise of God that he was their God and he would take care of them. And even if, I love that, even if God decided not to save them from the fire, they still weren't going to worship any other God. Do we approach a holy God that way? Are we willing to? to stand before the fire and do that. So I was thinking about how we worship. Do we just wait for that, you know, our favorite song? And is it just the raising of hands, and which can be very holy, and, and that experience is awesome, and we incorporate our emotions into worship. God gave us our emotions. That's all important. But the idea is, do then we fall off, and when we go home and we, Monday morning, 
we get a call that perhaps we've lost our job or you know, we find out from the doctor that we have this illness we didn't know about, and all of a sudden we're like, oh, I guess God forgot about me. You know, I don't feel like worshiping God now. Why? Because our circumstances change. You see, our, our, our approach of a holy God isn't based on how good we're feeling about him and about our circumstances, right? We approach a holy God because he is who he is, because he is worthy of it, not just because of what he does, but because of who our God is. And I just, I couldn't get over that. I kept thinking about that through the rest of this week, that we have to remember the object of our faith. See, we don't put our faith in the gifts, but we put our faith in the gift giver, right? That we have an object of our faith, and that is Jesus and him alone, that God's goodness that we sang about earlier doesn't depend on how much he gives us or how much he blesses us, but he is holy and righteous and deserves to be worshiped and honored for who he is. Now, of course, we know in Christ we have great freedom to worship God. We can raise our hands or not, and it doesn't quite matter what we wear when the priests were prescribed what they had to wear, and we can worship God here, we can worship God in our cars, and Jesus says to the woman at the well, remember, he said there's a time coming, right, that now is when, when we're going to not worship on the mountain of the Samaritans or in the temple for the Israelites. That, why? Because Jesus was here, right? And he knew what was about to happen. And so we have this great freedom. So what does Paul tell us in Romans 12, 1 and 2? Some of you might be familiar. Paul says in Romans 12, Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. So, see, it says therefore, right? You always want to know what the therefore is there for. And so, the first 11 chapters of Romans, he's talking about the goodness of God, the grace of God, the mercies of God to us as believers in Jesus, to the people of Israel, right? Romans 9, 10, and 11 are focused on the, 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 the people of Israel, past, present, and future promises. And then he says, okay, in Romans 12, it's the application part. If you ever read the letters of Paul, you'll see usually the first part is like theological, like here's the, what you are to believe and why. And then the other half is application. So he says, therefore, he starts the application part. I urge you then, in view of God's mercies, like everything I just said, Present your bodies as a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, because this is your spiritual act of worship. So now he's saying, you don't have to go into a temple, you don't have to wear certain things, right? He says, you present your whole body, not just physically, your whole self. We are to offer ourselves up to worship in God, not just a part of us, not just you know, the part that feels good or when we're feeling good, but our whole selves all the time, because God is a merciful God. He was merciful to Daniel. He was merciful to Daniel's friends. You notice under the Old Testament, right, the Old Covenant, sacrifices were animals who were slain, who were killed. Their blood was shed. They were burnt. They were burnt offerings under God's description and often separated out into pieces. But now we are called living sacrifices, Right? We are to die to self in a spiritual way in Christ, 
but we present our whole selves as a living sacrifice and a holy sacrifice, which is acceptable to God. See, I go back to where I started. The two sons of Aaron were killed because they offered unacceptable worship to God. Does he still do that? I don't believe so. But nonetheless, God is still God. He is still holy and righteous and worthy of worship. And Paul says, this is what it looks like. It's your whole life. Your whole life is to be worshiped, not just on Sunday mornings, right? Not just when you're singing songs, but it's your whole lifestyle, your whole attitude of worship in how you approach God with the great freedom that you have in Jesus. So I want to uh, end our time together reading this longer passage for you. It's, it's not on the screen. Um, you can turn to it in your Bibles and look at it or just listen. But I think this is a great description from the book of Colossians by the Apostle Paul of what it looks like for us in a very practical way to do what he says in Romans 12 is to offer ourselves as a living sacrifice to a holy God who will accept it, all right? Here's what it says in Colossians 3. It's verses 1 to 17. You can listen to it. You can look it up and and read along. Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 to 17. Consider these words, church, as the way to, to bring this message to its conclusion. Consider these words as a practical means of being... Um, living and holy sacrifices to God, okay? It says, therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on the earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. Therefore, consider the parts of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. For it is because of these things that the wrath of God will come upon the sons of disobedience, And in them you also once walked when you were living in them, but now you also put them all aside. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive speech from your mouth. Don't lie to one another since you laid aside the old self with all its evil practices and have put on the new self who is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him a renewal in which there is no distinction between Greek and Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, and free, but Christ is all and in all. So, as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving each other, whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. But beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. 
So let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you, with all wisdom, teaching, and admonishing one another, with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts, your hearts to God. Whatever you do, in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. Would you stand with me, please? Father, thank you for your word. It is amazing, it is powerful, it is life-giving. We thank you for these words you gave to Paul so many years ago that remind us to keep our eyes set on you. Lord, it's so easy to be distracted by the things of this world that surround us each and every day. There's so much, Father God, that's appealing and that tempts us and things that are good. Father, may we keep our eyes on things above where Christ is, where you are, not on the things of this world. And God, each and every day as we worship you, may we be able to to find that ability, Lord God, through your spirit to worship you no matter what we're doing each and every day as we're caring for our families, as we're doing a good job at work, as we're washing the dishes, as we are caring for the homes you've given us. Lord, in all of those things that we might call mundane or trivial, Lord God, we can do it all for you. You commend us, Father that no matter what we do in word or deed, in all these things, we do it for your glory. We do it because you are worthy. Thank you, Father God, for people like Daniel and his friends. Thank you, Lord, for showing us that great contrast between him and the king. God, in, in times of trial, Lord, in times of trial as they come, may we be willing to stand like they did even before the trials of fire and the burning furnace that we would say, even if. God, our lives are in your hands. You call us to offer ourselves as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to you, that which you would accept. God, we want to be acceptable to you. Thank you, Father, finally, that we can come into your presence because of Jesus, because of his atoning work on the cross, and thank you, Lord, for that simple gospel of grace, that if we just believe, Jesus, that you are who you say you are, the Son of God, Messiah, that you did what you said you were going to do, die for us and come back to life, and that you did it for us, that we will be saved. Father, thank you for that. God, go before us now through your Spirit. Prepare the way. Give us those opportunities to share this hope that is within us. Father God, please grant us the courage this week to stand firm in our faith, and to find the joy of worshiping you in all things we do, in word and deed, each and every day, for you deserve all the glory. We pray in Jesus' powerful name. Amen. Thanks for joining us this morning, church. Enjoy some more fellowship. Praise the Lord.
Back to him.